family, we welcome you too. We are, we are very honored to have you. want to honor all y'all that came here this morning. We're super excited, and uh, we're going to get right into it. We are in a series called Hot Mess. It's a hot mess, right? Anybody ever had a hot, hot mess? So I have a couple of questions just to kind of lead into this. Have you ever gone through something that seemed like there was no way out? Have you ever been there? You've been in a situation, and it just seemed like there was no way out. There are a lot of people that are going through situations and circumstances right now, and it seems like there's no way out. seems like this COVID thing is never going to end. It's the ongoing crisis. Well, the good news is it's going to end. It will end. But there are people that are suffering right now, and there's a lot of collateral damage, and statistically... These are things that aren't talked about, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but there, are fall, there is fallout from the lockdown. There's a lot of personal strain in people's lives. People are under a lot of strains financially. People are under a lot of relational strains, and people are actually being pushed to their limits. There's losses of jobs, losses of income. Some have even suffered the loss of a family member. And one of the things that they talk about the health crisis, but they don't talk about the mental health crisis that's going on right now as a result of this, this isolation uh, domestic abuse has spiked. They're overwhelmed. You talk about the hospitals being overwhelmed. They're saying that the call centers for domestic abuse have been overwhelmed. There's a surge in suicides and suicide attempts right now. And they expect that there's going to be a spike in divorces when all of this is over. It's isolation. It's hopelessness. It puts strain and pressure upon people. And the strain and the pressure is on the unknown. And families are being forced and they're together and the pressure of being together this whole time and with no answers and nowhere to turn. It's a crushing distress. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus has an answer. Did you know that? Jesus has an answer. For every crushing distress, there is an answer. Jesus has an answer and the scripture speaks to this problem. You don't think the Bible understands, and let me give you a story. This is a guy, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church at Corinth, and Corinth, and he says, "We don't want you to be ignorant. <laughs> the troubles which we came upon when we were in Asia." So Paul's traveling around preaching the gospel. He says, "We were overwhelmed with an oppressing distress beyond measure and above our strength." So if you feel like you've ever dealt with a crushing pressure and overwhelming distress that's been beyond your strength, you're in good company. He said that the strength in this despair was so great that we even despaired of life itself. In other words, we wanted to die. We didn't want to live anymore. It was like we had nowhere to go. We had hopeless. It just seemed like there was no way out. And he says it felt like we had the sentence of death over our heads. He says, but we learned, everybody say this with me, but we learned, but we learned that we should not trust in ourselves, but we should trust in God who raises the dead, who has delivered us from that sentence of death and is delivering us now. And by faith we have in him that he will deliver us in the future. There's a lot of people out there right now. And one of the things the circumstance is doing is it's showing human inability you don't have the ability to solve the problems that you face. And if this problem isn't the one that you can't solve, there will be a problem in your life where you have no ability to solve it. None. You will not have the answers. Oprah won't have the answers. Dr. Phil won't have the answers. But Jesus always has the answers. It will be overwhelming and crushing to where you almost feel like the breath itself has left your body. You feel hopeless. You can't sleep at night. The anxiety is really high. Can I get a witness? This is common to the human condition. As believers, we have, a, we have a portion. We have the Holy Spirit. We have access to something that the world doesn't. If you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. Universities don't have the answer. Governments don't have the answer. Politicians, no one has the answer. Christ has the answer. Jesus says this in John 16. He says, I have told you these things. He's telling them of all of the stuff that's going to come. And he says, so that in me, you may have perfect peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, trials, and distresses, and frustration. That's what he says. Can I get a witness? Right? (laughs) In this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. 
This is the amplified version. Take courage, be confident, and be absolutely uncertain and undaunted in your faith that I have overcome the world, which means I have deprived it of its power to harm you. And I have conquered its power for you. Nobody like Jesus. The greatest thing you can do in this hour, Christian, is engage your faith. The greatest thing you can do in this hour, Christian, is to engage the spirit. Don't run from him, run to him. And if you're there and you're looking for a message of hope and you're watching this stream for whatever reason and at whatever time this is going on in your life, you're watching it for a reason. Jesus Christ is hope. And if you turn to him, he will give you that answer. God will give you hope. All who come to me, I won't reject. If you call upon the Lord, he'll answer. If you seek him in sincerity and truth, but as the believer, it's part of your inheritance. There's a Christian Holocaust survivor. Her name was Corey Tinboom, and she said this. If you look outward, you'll find distress. If you look inward, you'll be depressed. If you look upward, you'll find rest. Right? A little simple, little quippy thing that you can remember. And say, what if I look inward? I'm depressed. You know why you look, you're depressed? It's because you don't have the answer. Anybody, you look inside, you look good. The, the world will say, look inside yourself. My question is, for what? For what am I looking? I'm looking inside myself for what? I don't have the answer. If I'm in Christ, I have the Spirit in me. And if I look to the Holy Spirit who is within me, then I have an answer. But if I don't have the Spirit of God and Jesus isn't in my heart, I'm completely vacant. My smartest answer isn't going to get it done, nor will yours. Wisdom comes from on high. The problems of this hour do not lie within this world. The solutions to the problems do not lie within this world. They lie in his. What I want you to know this morning is Jesus is going to give you peace to stand, and you're going to get through. You're going to get through. He's going to give you peace to stand, and you will get through. It may not look like it, but it's going to happen. Jesus will give you wisdom in this time if you ask him, and he will show you what to do. There are tremendous opportunities that are going to be available. You've heard me say this week after week after week after week, and I'm going to say it again. There's going to be tremendous opportunities. The devastation of others will be the reward of the believer. We will reap the spoils. There will be doors open that were never opened before. There are people that are open to the gospel right now. Right now. The Lord will leverage this situation to cause people to look to him because they will find hope in no other. They'll listen to a gospel message because there's nowhere to look. They'll look to the church or they'll look to the Christian or they'll look to the God for, for some message of hope. There's an opportunity. And if you're watching this and you need that opportunity, Jesus wants to give it to you. So what does this look like? There's a, in, the, in the Bible, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament, the stories of the Old Testament were written to us as examples. And I want to talk to you this morning about 2 Chronicles chapter 20. There's a king called Jehoshaphat, right? How'd you like to have that name? What's your name? Just call me Joe. <laughs> he could actually have a really cool rapper name. He could be J-Fat. That would have been like his rapper name. He would blend really well in our, in our time. <laughs> he was one of Judah's greatest kings. Israel was divided. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So the nation was divided. Judah was the southern kingdom. And the people had experienced godless leaders. And because they had experienced godless leaders, the people themselves were godless. It's true. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin becomes a reproach to all the people. When the leadership propagates things that are not, that are not for the Lord, when we propagate and fund and declare and decree things that are unrighteous, the Bible says a reproach fills the land. But righteousness exalts a nation. What is right to God? When you have godly leaders who proclaim Jesus Christ, and in this hour, one of the things that's being testified... You're seeing leaders in our land that proclaim Jesus, and you're seeing leaders in our land that deny Jesus. It's all coming on the table right now. People's faith is coming to the surface, and people and the lack of faith, it's a sifting of the wheat right now. It's a shaking. It's not a final shaking, but I believe it's a forerunner to things that are to come. Heaven is watching, Christian. Heaven is watching your faith in this hour. The eyes of the Lord are upon you. Are you in faith? Do you believe his word? Or do you believe CNN? 
Where are you? Where are you? Adam, where are you? Are you clothed in covenantal garments? Or are you enclosed with the worldliness of this world? The believer's mentality, there's a gospel being preached that I don't, I don't hear. I've never heard before. I'm like, where's this coming from? This isn't in the word. Jehoshaphat was one of God, Israel's greatest kings. He had a big heart. If he had one negative going for him, he had a divided loyalty. He loved the Lord, but he kept trying to reconcile himself with his family to the north. Northern Israel was divided from the south. And Jehoshaphat believed in some way that he could bring some reconciliation. Even though the Lord told him time and time and time and time again, leave them alone, Jehoshaphat. Don't go to them. And Jehoshaphat would go, why? It just seems like the compassionate thing to do. And the Lord was trying to deal with the northern tribes. The northern tribes had leaders that would reject God outwardly. God sent Elijah. This is during the times of Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah was not ministering in the south. He was ministering in the north. And so who was the prophet speaking to? The prophet was speaking to the godless. The prophet wasn't speaking to the godly south. He was speaking to the godless north. And God was trying to give them a voice to repent. And he was allowing the circumstances to come upon them to repent. And Jehoshaphat kept going there and propping them up. And the Lord said, stop supporting them. (laughs) We do it a lot with our family members, don't we? It's really hard to watch a godless family member leave, not want Jesus. And the word to you is let them be. I got it. And then you see them in distress and you run to help them. It's hard. Sometimes that pain that's in their life is to bring them to a place of repentance. Because they won't come to repentance any other way. People don't come to Jesus at the top of their game. They come through pain most of the time. They come through sorrow. They come through transition or tragedy. That's how people come to Christ. Trial, transition, or tragedy. Those are the beachheads of the gospel. They don't come when they're rolling. They just won the lottery. Hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. You don't see that, right? Not very often. (laughs) My kids just made it into Harvard. Everything's going with my kids made it into Harvard. I won the lottery. And, you know, I'm the picture of health. Nobody nobody comes to Christ during that. If anything, mankind goes into their arrogance. The more successful we come, we're tested not just with need. We're tested not just in lack. There's another test called the test of abundance. Very few pass the test of abundance. Very few pass the past test of abundance. Very few. I've seen it in all my years in Christianity. I have watched the Lord take people from zero and make them prosperous. And when they reach the point of prosperity, they stop giving. And most of the time, they abandon their faith. And they throw both arms around the world. Same thing God told Israel. He said, when you come into the promised land and you come into the abundance that I have for you, you will cast my word behind your back. You will forget me. People don't understand that. We think we're being trusted in the lack. You're supposed to give out of your lack and you're supposed to give out of your abundance. Most cannot pass the test of abundance. Very few can. And so here's Jehoshaphat trying to reconcile and the Lord's telling him not to. But what made him a great king was this. Jehoshaphat dwelt in Jerusalem and he went out among the people of the surrounding regions and he brought them back to the Lord. Jehoshaphat went out among the people to bring them back to the Lord. All of his predecessors had done everything in their power to lead them away from the Lord, to lead them into worshiping the gods of the culture. That's what it was. Really, it wasn't about the God of Astaroth or the God of Molech or the God of Amnon. It was the God of, of the culture that they led the people of God into worshiping the mentalities and the attitudes of the world. That's where he was. That's where all of the product and, and Jehoshaphat is going out among the people saying, look, come back to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. Be who you are. Come into your inheritance. He went out. His faith was public. When we have leaders that have public faith, do not kill your prophets. Do not kill Christian leaders who have faith or are are public about their faith. They may be wrong. They may have wrong viewpoints. They may have wrong doctrine. They may have wrong, a lot of things wrong. But if they acknowledge Jesus publicly, don't stone them. 
insincerity and truth. If they are public, I'm not talking about I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Episcopal. Who cares? It's Jesus Christ. If they use the words Jesus is Lord, don't throw rocks, people. Don't throw rocks. God can use the person who will publicly proclaim his name. They're imperfect as we all are. Jehoshaphat had a public faith. And what did he do? He established righteous judges in every city. You see, one of the things that happens when leadership becomes corrupt is the judicial system becomes corrupt. Can I get a witness? Look in our land today. You can see where the infection has gone even into our judicial system. And it's because of the corruption at the top. That infection is now bleeding out into the judicial system. And so when injustice rules in the land, the people lose hope. They lose hope. And so one of the things that ended up happening with Jehoshaphat is he said, we're going to put right leaders and right judges in every city. They will judge accordingly to the word of God. They will judge accordingly to the heart of God. They will not take bribes. They will not take corruption. They will not judge by political viewpoints. They will not judge by personal viewpoints. They will judge according to the word. And so he established judges among the people. And so he's earning their credibility. The people are like, wow, this is a leader that I can follow. This is a guy, he's, he actually cares that we get justice. He actually cares that there's equality among the people to the best of human, human ability. And then he made sure there were houses of worship in every city. That's the second thing he did. So he established justice and he established worship. He looked across Israel and said, wherever there is no house of worship, send the Levites. It's one of the first church planners in the Old Testament. He made sure that the houses of worship were necessary. He made sure that the houses of worship were essential. They are essential. Say it's not essential. It's not essential. To who? Who who gives you the right to determine that? Does Jesus say it's not essential? Then it's essential. Upon this rock I will build my church. The gospel is essential. The houses of worship are essential. Whether people come or not, that's not the issue. But the proclamation of the gospel from the place where God has appointed you to stand is necessary. It's necessary. I can't speak for other people. I speak for myself. I will stand where I'm appointed to stand. Period. I'll talk to the wall if I have to. But heaven will look at me and find me faithful. He was a leader who honored God publicly and he called others to do the same. And something happened in the land called revival. You ever heard that word before? It's a popular word right now. We don't even really know what it means. What does revival mean? You know, what's funny is because if you watch a lot of the conversations, you heard the word woke. Anybody heard the word woke? Right? So the big conversation now is they're woke. They're woke. That's what revival means to awaken. And I believe that this woke Mentality that's taking place in the culture is the forerunning wind of the revival that God is going to bring into his church. Because it means to awaken. Means to awaken. Awaken to what? Awaken to your condition. If you don't know Jesus, you need to wake up. You're lost. If you die without Christ, you are eternally damned. Period. You will not pass go. You will not collect $200. You don't get a chance card. You're lost. Period. If you die in Christ, to be absent from the Lord is to be present with the Lord. If you die without him, you're lost eternally. You die in your sin. Awakening to your condition, awaken to your need to be saved. Awaken to your identity. We're sons and daughters of the highest. We're not common. Stop seeing yourself as common. Stop lowering your identity. You want revival? Awaken to who you are. Awaken to who he is and awaken to who he has called you to be. Awaken to your calling. You have a purpose in this world. You're not here to take up space or collect baseball cards or shells. Jesus isn't interested in a shell collection. He's interested in you pushing into your purpose and becoming who you are. Say, I don't know where my purpose is. You need a revival. You need an awakening to what you are, to who you are, and what your responsibility is. Responsibility means ability to respond. You have an ability to respond to your identity. You have an ability to respond to your purpose. You have an ability to respond to the Lord. And you have an ability to respond to his kingdom. 
And you have an ability to respond to culture. This is what we are. When revival happens individually, it's awesome. When it happens collectively, it creates a river. It creates a current. We have a lot of raindrops of revival. People experiencing personal revival. What would happen if we collectively experienced it? It's not a party in a church. It's an awakening. It's an awakening. An awakening and beginning to live out of an awake. Out of, you, you live wide awake. Eyes wide open. Good things. Momentum. So here's, here's Jehoshaphat. Great things are happening. There's a revival in the land. There's great momentum. The nation is going to another level. Momentum will always be challenged. Always. The next level will always be challenged. This is why most Christians camp don't want to press to the next level. They get comfortable and live on the plateau because they don't want to fight the fight that's on the next level. And so they stay adequate, they stay average the rest of their life. Not realizing that they have the victory, but they have to fight for it. Israel did the same thing. It was a generation that didn't want to go in. Because they just didn't want to, they didn't want the fight that was involved for their vic, for, the, for in order for them to have the inheritance. There was another tribe. There were two other tribes that said, "We don't want to go in. We want to settle over here." And then there was a whole other generation that died in the wilderness because they didn't want to fight for what was rightfully theirs. God had given it to them, but they had to fight for it. And so Jehoshaphat and the nation are experiencing all this momentum. And what happens? Issues from the past come back to haunt them. When God sent them into the land, they were supposed to drive out all of the tribes. Anybody know that, right? So God gave the land to Abraham. But while Abraham was sojourning in Egypt, other nations had occupied that land. And so God said, they're squatters and you need to go in and drive them out. But they didn't do it. They left a great number of tribes there. And so what's happening now is the, the, the surrounding regions are seeing this revival. They're seeing this power coming through Israel. And they unite together to stop it. Moab, Amnon, and the people of Mount Seir formed a confederacy. And are now going to attack not just Judah. They're going after Jehoshaphat. Strike the shepherd. Strike the leader. That's where they're going. That's why we shouldn't throw stones at our leaders. Shouldn't throw There's enough issues, man. Leaders deal with a lot. Greatest thing that will humble you. If you got a lot of criticisms of leaders, then you need to take the position of leadership and you'll watch. I tell that to young people all the time. They all got big mouths. Everybody wants the microphone. You got something to say about leadership. I'm like, what have you led? What have your, what has your life produced? You've done what? Oh, I'm a critic. Oh, you're, you, then you're worth nothing. Critics don't count. Critics don't count. Leaders count. And when you take the position of leadership, you understand it's a weight of responsibility. And when you take the weight of responsibility and you take on leadership, you become less critical of leaders. The more you lead, the less critical of other leaders you become. The people that are most critical of leaders are never leaders. If you're critical of leadership, you're not a leader because you don't understand it. You have no concept of what it takes to lead. It's not the critic that counts. It's not the people on the bench that criticize the people in the arena. Teddy Roosevelt would say, the glory, the honor belongs to those who blood and sweat and tears fight for something or are willing to lead when others will not. Bench warmers don't count in the kingdom, people. Critics don't count in the kingdom. Stone throwers don't count. Bloggers that do nothing don't count in the kingdom. Get out of your Batman PJs. Get out of your mama's basement. Stop typing on a keyboard and lead. Do something. Think you're all powerful behind a keyboard. Get out in front. See where that goes. First man through the wall always gets killed. So you know. Leaders bear wounds that other people can't understand. Because they're the first one through the wall. That's why they have wounds. That's why betrayal hurts more than anything. Because they've been wounded by so others. It's like, et tu, Brute? You too? If you want to be a critic, stop being a critic and lead. Take on the road. Well, I don't like to show up. I'm an idea man. You know how many people I've heard tell me that over the years? Oh, I, you know, I'm like, oh, you got a lot of ideas, do you? Yeah, you know what? Why don't you lead that? Why don't you take charge? Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to take charge of anything, Pastor. I just want to be an idea man. I go, I don't have time for idea men. 
I don't have time for idea people. I have time for leaders and new, new believers. So if you're not a leader and you're not a new believer, you're wasting my time. <gasps> Read Jesus. It's exactly what he did. If you're not growing and aspiring unto leadership, he didn't talk to you. Or if you were not someone who was broken and had questions, the broken and those who are in travail, those who are wounded and hurting, he spoke to them and he spoke to the leaders. But the rest of the arrogant idiots, he said, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. I'm not talking to them and neither should you. You're either a part of the solution or you're a part of the problem. And you need to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, which one am I? Am I a part of the solution or am I a part of the problem? Just a thought. The church has to unite. We have to unite with a common goal and a common vision. It was told to Jehoshaphat, there's a great multitude coming against you. So Jehoshaphat's just chilling, enjoying it. Hey, this is awesome. This is really cool. And these people show up and go, dude, we got some bad news. And the Bible indicates that they kept telling him this over and over and over and over again. Sounds like our media, doesn't it? Over and over and over again. Bad news. And the Bible says that they told him, there's an overwhelming problem upon you and you have no ability to stop it. And they kept telling him this. And it says, Jehoshaphat became greatly distressed in his soul. (laughs) You think? (laughs) People that watch the news all day, guys, you're going to get nothing but greatly distressed. You need to feed your spirit in this hour. If you're laid off, feed your spirit. Praise Jesus. It's time to grow. If you're waiting on something, feed your spirit. Worship, get into godly things. Stop watching the news. There's no good news. No good news. Well, I need the news. No, you need Jesus. It says he was overwhelmingly distressed. Ready? I love this. This is the Amplified, right? (laughs) And he had a vital need to seek the Lord. (sighs) In times of overwhelming distress, you have a vital need. To seek the Lord. Your faith, you know, like vital signs, you know, your faith, your, the cardiogram is telling you, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Your vital signs, the vital signs of your faith are telling you where to get the answer. Overwhelmingly distressed because of the news that was being told to him. And he said, I will, I have a vital need to seek the Lord. People say this with me, people of faith are not intimidated by problems. People of faith become motivated towards the solution. That's right. The problem should not intimidate us. It should motivate us. God's got an opportunity in this hour. This problem means that Jesus can be glorified. Jesus is glorified in distress. He's the overwhelming God. You ever, ever been? Come on. Yeah. You ever ever do this? You're like in distress and you've been praying and you've been praying and nothing happens. And then at like the midnight hour, Jesus comes cruising through the curtain. You know what I'm saying? It's like at the last moment, it's like he likes an entrance. It's like, well, why'd you wait so long? Because you didn't need me then, Kevin. You didn't need me. At the moment of your greatest despair, that's when you needed me. That's when I showed up. It's how he works. This is how he is. He's not freaked out. The boat was going down. Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? He's like, what? We're not perishing. Who told you you were perishing? That's what he said. Who told you? Little faith, why did you tell me we're perishing? Did I tell you we were perishing? Whose voice are you listening to? Yeah, but Lord, we're out on the water and the circumstances are overwhelming the boat and it looks like we're going down and you're sleeping because there's no storms in his world. That's why he sleeps. He's at rest. There's no storm where he is. This is, a, this is a facade. It's an overwhelming lie being perpetrated upon you. And the Lord says, stop listening to the lie. When I told you, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Did I say, get in the boat, we're going into the sea to drown? Were those my words? You understand what he was calling them back to? He was calling them back to the words that he had spoken. Get in the boat, we're going to the other side. That's what he said. Then they get out in the middle of the lake. And circumstances start telling them something different. And they freak out. It's a lesson to us. 
God's word is to prevail in our lives over everything else. Did I tell you we're going to drown? Is that what I said? No, then why are you putting your faith in a lie? Did he tell you you're going to drown? No. Then who are you listening to? Who's telling you that? Well, Chris Cuomo on CNN. There's your problem. Need I say more? We're not to be intimidated by the problems. We're to be motivated to the solution. And that's Jesus. Jesus has an answer in this, in this hour. And I'm going to partner with him. I'm going to be an eyewitness of his majesty in this hour. God is going to do something glorious. And I will not be a spectator. I will be a participant. Show me the people. Put me in the place. And help me to reap those things, Jesus. Because I'm with you. Where are you? How big is your faith? My faith says. My faith says yes. And Jehoshaphat stood with the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. And he began before the Lord. So what Jehoshaphat does is he says, go get the people. We're going to pray. We got a problem. And we need to stop being intimidated by the problem. And we need to start being motivated to the solution. And so he calls all the people together. And they all come. Interesting. With their wives and children. They're all, listen, the enemy is pressing down on Jerusalem. The enemy is coming from the Dead Sea North. And their target is Jerusalem. Their target is none other than Joseph Jehoshaphat himself. And he calls the people where? To the bullseye. Not just the bullseye of Jerusalem, they assemble around him. Is that crazy? So not only was, was Jehoshaphat capable of demonstrating faith, he had influenced the people to such a level of faith that they felt they feared nothing. They were willing to just do whatever it took. We're going to honor God. Jehoshaphat had issues all around and he comes before the Lord and prays. I'm going to give you a little different take on this prayer. This is how we, this is how, this is how we teach it. Right? We teach it like this. Oh, Lord of our fathers. Oh, God, are you in heaven? Are you even there? Oh, do you, do you really rule over all the kingdoms? In your hand is power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Oh, God. We portray this as a victim prayer. Watch this. <laughs> and I said, oh, Lord, God of our fathers. Are you not in heaven? You are, you are the one who rules over all the kingdoms of the earth. In your hand, there is power and might, so that none will be able to withstand you. Did you not, O oh God, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before us? And did you not give it over to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They that dwelt in it have built you a sanctuary here. And did you not promise over this sanctuary that you would deliver us from all things? Sword, judgment, pestilence, famine. And we stand in your house before you. In your name. This house is a symbol of your presence. And now behold. Look at the issue Lord. Amnon's coming. Moab's coming. Mount Seir's coming. Whom, you, whom we didn't invade. They had a covenant with these people. It's a long story. I don't want to get into it. But he says. Oh Lord God. Will you not exercise judgment against them? For we have no might to stand. And this great company comes against us. And everybody say this. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. This is a proclamation of covenantial agreement. This is a proclamation of covenantial remembrance. This isn't some empathy prayer. This isn't some weak, cowering prayer. I mean, I was taught this in Bible school. And in great distress, Jehoshaphat called upon the Lord. Oh, God. You know what I've learned through experience? Jesus doesn't answer. Oh, God, prayers. He doesn't answer victim prayers, and he doesn't answer why prayers. He's not a man. He doesn't recognize you as a victim. He doesn't recognize you that way. And so when Jehoshaphat stood before the people and he made these covenantal proclamations, the Lord arose. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord fell upon one of the sons of the priests. And he's walking around, and every time they would use this word hearken, it's the Hebrew word shema. And so when the word Shema was spoken, the children of Israel would grab their ear and pull it because it means listen. So once you just grab your ear and pull on it, pay attention. Come on, grab your ear. You at home, grab your ear, pull on it. When the Lord says Shema, it meant get your attention fixed on what I'm about to say. He says, listen, all you inhabitants of Jerusalem and listen, King Jehoshaphat. 
The Lord says this to you. Do not be afraid of this multitude. Do not be afraid of these circumstances that are greater than you. For the battle is mine, not yours. You're my son. You're my daughter. I am your Lord, your Adonai, which means benefactor. I am the one who pledges himself over you. This fight against you does not belong to you. These circumstances that are against you are not against you. They're against me and I will fight for them. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the Most High God? You understand the rights? Children cannot be... We are sons and daughters. That's what we are. Say, what do you guys think? You're special? I don't think we're special. I know we're special. I know. There's nothing fair about favor, people. In Christ, you are favored. You say, well, I'm not a Christian. What's that make me? It makes you a creation. Become a believer and you become a son or a daughter. Become a believer and you get the favor of God on your life. Every Christian has favor on them. They just don't activate it. They don't know how to press into it and they don't know how to activate it. But the favor is there. The Bible teaches us that we have to grow in favor. Jesus left his throne, became a man in order to become a model. He's the divine prototype of the new creation. So he is the model that we follow. And the Bible says that Jesus grew in favor with God and men. So if Jesus humbling himself as a man to walk it out on the earth, modeling for us that favor is something we have to grow into. We grow into favor. You are favored, but you grow into it with the Lord and you grow in. That's a whole other teaching. Take me 40 minutes just to unpack that. I love the Bible. (laughs) We got time. Yeah, everything's closed. We got time. He tells them this, right? So they tell the Lord what to do. And you know what happens? He sees their faith. And what are they doing? Jesus said, put me in remembrance of my word. Remind me of what I said to you. And what does Jesus forget? He doesn't forget. He wants to know, do you know it? He hasn't forgotten anything. He knows his word like the back of his hand. He knows what he said. But he wants to know, do you know what I said? Do you know the promises that I've made? And what happens is Jehoshaphat is coming before the Lord and he is telling him, I remember just like last week, what happened? David put on the priestly vestments and he put himself in a position and he reminded the Lord. He said, I know who I am, Lord. I've forgotten who I am, but now I remember. And the Lord said, right on. Same principle here. You see the immediate answer because of the positional. It's positional. Jehoshaphat stands and decrees covenantial promises to the Lord. And the Lord says, I arise to perform my word. Jehoshaphat's not on his knees, dumping sackcloth and ashes on his head. Oh, poor me, Lord. Look at my pity and my misery. Help me out here. (laughs) Would the Lord answer him? Yeah, maybe in a week. But he answers immediately. To the cub when he stands and fights and he stands in his position. And the Lord says to him, an, an anointing comes upon ones of the, one of the sons of the priests. And the sons of the priests stands up and gave that prophetic word. And the Lord says, I, have, I know you're concerned, but don't worry about it. I got a plan. I got it. I got it. Somebody put it this way. Trying to help. We partner with the Lord. We don't help God, we partner with him. In other words, we do what he tells us to do. That's the partnership aspect of it. We don't do what we want the way that we want it. We do what he says. When we do it the way we want without instruction and we think we're helping God, it's the equivalent of being on an airplane and flapping your wings as if you're keeping the airplane up in the air. (laughs) Ma'am, why are you flapping your wings? I have to. I have to keep this airplane up. I have to keep... (laughs) You don't have the ability to keep the airplane up. The airplane can power itself. You don't have to worry about that. He tells them where to find the enemy. So the Lord's like, look, I got a plan. I got this. And so here's what I want you to do. Over the river and through the woods is where the enemy is camped. He tells them exactly where the enemy is camped. And then he tells them, dress yourself for the battle. Get up early. Right? In other words, prepare and have expectation. To get up early is to, is to anticipate. You have a kid? You have kids for Christmas? Do they get up early? If there's one day a year that a child rises early, it's Christmas morning. I mean, it's a crack of dawn. 2.30. It's not even, you know, wait till it's light out and they're just staring out the window. Why? Because they have expectation. 
Rising up early is a symbol of your expectation. The Lord said, I want, you to, I want to see the people rise up early. I want them to expect me to do the impossible. And I want them to dress for battle. Present themselves. We've got to present ourselves. We're the army of the Most High God. He said, put on the armament. Put on the raiment. Don't you go out there in rags. Don't you go dragging out there. Looking like you just crawled out of a dumpster. You're at a different place in your life now. Maybe there was a time when you looked like you came out of a dumpster. But you're not that person now. Dress as I have told you to be. Dress for the battle. And then he tells him this. Dress for the battle. Get up early. Go over the river and through the woods. And I want you to find this place and stand. So they were to take battle formations. And their only instruction was to stand. And the Lord says no matter what happens. No matter what, hap- what comes at you. You don't move. You stand still. Can you imagine that? This is again. These are, what he's looking for is demonstrations of faith. That's what he's looking for. God, faith is the currency of heaven. God trades buys and sells with the currency of faith. And he is looking for his people to demonstrate faith. Get the people up early. Get them dressed. Okay, we're up, but I don't know. No, put the armor on. Okay, now go to where I tell you. Now stand. And when the enemy is pursuing you and you have three armies coming at you, don't you move. Oh, some of you need to put that on your mirror. Even if I have three armies coming at me, I will not move. That's the kind of faith he's asking for. He said, you want my victory? It looks like this. Get up early. Dress like you know what you're doing. Even if you don't, go where I'm telling you and don't move. Don't move. We run at the first sign of battle. Oh my gosh, and we're running. The problem for me, this is just me, is leadership. People do what people do, but when the leaders when the leaders run, the leaders of the church in this hour are like, "Oh my gosh, what do we do? Oh my gosh, we're not doing that." Yes, you are. I read your emails. I read what you're telling me. I read the blogs. Well, the church needs to. You know, the church needs to obey Jesus. The pastors need to demonstrate faith, whether the people do or not. That's a different story. So, if you get offended at me saying that, I'm speaking to leaders. Leaders. The pastors need to, they need to have a voice in this hour that is not fear. They need to have a voice in this hour that is not of the culture. They need to have a voice in this hour that is of the kingdom. We're supposed to be supernatural people. Where are the houses of the healing now? Where are the healing proclamations now? Right here. I got one for you. No plague will come near your dwelling. <laughs> telling you it exposes the church it exposes us it reveals pressure reveals what's in you the pressure reveals and brings the gold to the surface or the dross so the pressure reveals you make excuses make excuses people make excuses do what they want i mean i don't have any issue with people i just get tired of reading all these emails from all these pastors you know going what do we do what do we do? Is that what Jehoshaphat did? Did Jehoshaphat go, what do we do? Let's take a vote. I know. Let's get the congregation together and let's vote. What do you think we should do, people? Dude, you're the leader. Make a decision. Are you in charge or are you not? The captain of a warship doesn't go, let's get everybody together and have a consensus opinion here. They lead. They project confidence even if they're not. Why? Because the people, when they see the fear in the leadership, they become afraid. When your leaders are afraid, the people become afraid. You guys remember Lord of the Rings? Anybody? Come on. You my Lord of the Rings, right? Any Lord of the Rings fans? What was it? The Return of the King? When the king freaked out? The king that was up on the mountain, you know, the one eating the grapes all the time? And he sees everything happen and he's like, run for your lives, run for your lives. What did Gandalf do? Gandalf knocked him in the head. <laughs> and these leaders that are our leaders that are saying, run for your lives, go to the caves, shelter my people, shelter. Somebody needs to knock you in the head. I don't like you, Kevin. I don't like you. Jesus likes me and that's all that matters to me. <laughs> I tell people my wife likes me most of the time 
My cat's about 90% of the time. Depends on how much food I put out for her. <laughs> Sometimes my kids, but Jesus always loves me, and that's good enough for me. They honored him. They worshiped. So here they go. They come together. They pray. The Lord gives them a prophetic say with him. He only gave them a promise. That's all they had. They didn't have a victory yet. He just said, I'm going to do this for you. And what did they do? They bowed and they worshiped. They had nothing but a promise, yet they worshiped. Some people in this situation right now, you have nothing but a promise. Do you worship? You know what he said? This is what Joseph, Joseph had does. This. Joseph had, must have been like, a, he probably couldn't sing, but he always wanted to sing. You know, he's one of those guys. So he's like, I know I can't sing, but I can sing in a congregation. So he was always surrounding himself with singers. Probably because he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. So that's why he could, I want to worship the Lord, but I know I'm going to like, you know, dogs are going to howl when I sing. So I need to get worshipers around him. And so what he does is he bows in worship and he tells the Levites to begin to lead songs. So the ministers of music began to lead songs. And the Bible says the people lifted up their voice unto the Lord with a loud voice. Silence is not holiness to the Lord. Be still and know I'm God. Shout to the Lord. They had a promise. That's all they had. All they had was a promise. And they worshipped and they sang without having the answer manifested to them. They sang. Where are you? Wow. It gets better. All they had was promises. Say this with me. When God answers... With provision, my job is to receive. When God answers with promise, my response is to partner. Do you understand that? It's exactly what this is exemplifying. When, God, when you pray and God gives you provision, you receive it. When you pray and God gives you a promise, your job now, the transference of that job to the sons and daughters, is to begin to partner in obedience with that promise. What are the conditions of the promise? God just gave them a promise. And he put conditions on it. Did he not? I'm going to deliver you. But here's what you need to do. Rise up early. Dress for battle. Go over the river and through the woods. Rying yourself in battle. Stand before the enemy and don't move. That was the conditions placed upon their victory. You understand that? So when God gives you a promise, your response is to partner with the promise. Every promise has a condition attached to it. Given it shall be given back to you. You reap what you sow. Pray and it will be answered. You know, I mean, over and over, I mean, not less message on promises, but nonetheless, promises come with conditions. It says they honored, they sang praises with loud voices. Loud voice. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Let us sing. Wow, that was holy, brother. That was holy. Not to Jesus. I mean, I tell our church that shouting and clapping and dancing or whatever it may be may not be your context, but it's Jesus's context. It's not what you want to do. It's not where you come from. But guess what? It's not about you. If Jesus likes a shout, then we're going to give him a shout. If Jesus likes a song, we're going to give him a song. If he wants a little jig, we're going to give him a jig. If he wants a twirl, we're going to give him a twirl. Because it's what he wants. It's not about your denomination or your tradition. It's about the king. It's all about the king. They got up early. Knees knocking. Ha ha. (laughs) you imagine? Okay, guys, here's the plan. You're outnumbered like five to one. What are we going to do? Here's the Lord's word. Yeah, we sang yesterday, but now this really matters. They got up early and their knees are knocking. Okay, dude, we're ready, Jehoshaphat. Let's go. And Jehoshaphat, perceiving this more than likely, what does he do? He rallies the people. This, ladies and gentlemen, is leadership. Rally the people. Rally the people in faith. That's what he does. Rallies the people in faith. And he says... Hear me. There's the word again. Shema. Hear me, Judah. And all you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. And he will establish you. Believe and remain steadfast to the words of his prophet. And you will prosper. And you will prosper. And when he had spoken to the people. What did he do again? What's he do again? He got the singers together. Telling you. Jehoshaphat is tapping the heart of David. 
This is David discovered something simply by pressing in. And Jehoshaphat is going to discover an entirely different realm. His father went through the door and his ancestor David went through the door and Jehoshaphat's about ready to go into the living room. He's going to take something that David started and he's going to press in. People say the tabernacle of David. What about the tabernacle of Jehoshaphat? This dude can't walk across the street without worshiping. Read the story. Worship in the morning, worship in the evening, worship at the noontime. This guy's worshiping all day long. He probably had a choir around him. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're a king. Why would you not? What's the band do? They just follow you around. Why? In case the moment strikes. Hey, guys, I feel like worshiping. Hit that song for me. You know? We didn't have iPads, didn't have I, or I, or iPhones or anything like that. But he could say, like, well, man, we don't have any electronic devices. But I got singers. I got harps. <laughs> He probably traveled with an entourage. Listen to the voice of his prophets and you will prosper. This prophet says you will succeed and not fail. This prophet says you will be above only and not beneath. You will pass through the waters and you will not be overtaken. You will go through the fire and you will not overturn. This I will tell you this now. This is the greatest hour if you will believe God. Watch. It's the darkness. This is the midnight hour. It can't get any darker. You have three armies coming at you from beneath you. They're coming out of nowhere. They're coming with your name on it. Moab's got a bullet. It's got Jehoshaphat's name on it. They're coming for Jerusalem and they're coming for Jehoshaphat. And all he's got is a promise. (laughs) That's it. And when he had spoken to the people, he told the priests, put on your priestly garments. Put it on. And then he began to sing and they began to worship. And as they began to sing and worship, this is where it gets really good. He tells them the song to sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And the way this was done, so this is the way Israel used to sing. When the priests would lead, the the, the people would respond. Israel sang songs in the round. They would go, give thanks to the Lord. That's what the priest would say. And the people go, for his mercy endureth forever. That's how they would sing. Give thanks to the Lord. And then they would go, for his mercy endureth forever. That's how they would sing. They would go forth into battle. Can you imagine that? Imagine that? And the Bible says, as soon as they began to sing, the Lord set ambushments against the enemy. You know how this works? God saw their faith and he gave them the promise before it was due. He said, I'm going to give you the victory when you stand on the field. When I see you standing in battle array, unmovable before me and unmovable before your enemies, I will give you victory. But when he saw their faith, they hadn't even reached the, they haven't even reached the assembly point yet. And the Lord's like, all right, I can't take it. And he just releases and activates the promise before they even get there. You understand that? Spiritual people get that. Religious people. Well, pastor, I don't know. Doesn't sound doctrinal to me. Experience shatters your doctrine. God will never take you beyond the boundaries of his word. But he will always press you beyond the boundaries of your thinking. Always. Your thinking is the problem. This is why Christians stay encamped in their foolishness and their stupidity because they think that their thinking is what's right. The word of God is right. God will push you beyond your thinking. Jehoshaphat is pressing into a level of God's heart that no one had ever encountered. That God will give you a promise before the time if he sees faith. you imagine that? Why were they singing? To put courage in the hearts of the people. They are honoring the Lord. We're going into this battle, Lord, and we are honoring you. Our enemies, even if they see us coming, we want them to hear us coming. We want them to hear the glory of God before they ever see us. Oh, come on. (laughs) The Lord saw their faith. And when they arrived, you know what they found? The enemy had killed themselves. The enemy is less united than you think. There was a confederacy. You had the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Mount Seir people. And these people probably had beefs with one another. You know, they really didn't like each other. The only, per- the only reason they were unified is they didn't like Jehoshaphat. 
So I don't like the Moabites, but I don't like Jehoshaphat more, so I'm willing to go along with this. And God did this over and over again. When the enemy unites, he puts division in his camp. The very thing, the very weapon that the enemy tries to use, division, is the very thing that God just flips the coin right back on him. That's the devil's number one tactic. The Lord's like, oh, really? That's your best move? Let me just jujitsu you. That's all he does. The Lord doesn't even stretch out his hand. He just uses the enemy's momentum against him and throws him on the ground. The enemy came to divide and conquer. And the Lord goes, is that your tactic? Well, watch this. You have no power. I will use your, your, what the devil, here's the saying. You want a statement? I'll give you one. What the devil has meant to put you under is the very thing that the devil, that the Lord intends to put you over with. The enemy meant to put them under. He means to put you under in this circumstance. This is what he wants to do. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to make a mockery of you. He wants to make a mockery of God. Not on my watch. That's what I say. Not as long as I'm breathing. I heard a Marine say one time, and I know it's Memorial Day. He said, so long as there's one Marine breathing with a rifle, the fight's not over. (laughs) As long as there's one man of God with a Bible and a faith in his heart, the fight's not over. Or a woman of God. One believer with the word of God in their hand and the praise in their mouth, the fight's not over. It's not over. When they went into the field, instead of finding the enemy, you know what they found? Victory. The enemy divided against themselves and they killed each other. They did the same thing. There's several stories of that where they had a confederacy and the confederacy broke. And the Lord just said, you know, break that thing up. Just break that thing up. Just just, I'm tired of looking at that. Just just break that up. And the angels go down and go, hey, Amnon, remember when Moab like uh, punched your sister? Remember that? Yeah, man, I remember that. You didn't forget that, did you? No. Dude, I remember when you punched my sister. Yeah, I remember when you, when you broke my camel, man. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then they all just start throwing down. And the army starts, and they end up fighting and killing each other, and they don't even know why. It just, they just start manifesting this blood feud that they had. The Moabites are killing the Ammonites. The Mount, people of Mount Seir start killing everybody. Everybody's just killing each other for no reason. And they show up, and the enemy is gone. The enemy has literally vanquished himself. This wasn't the hand of God over them. This wasn't some plague that hit them. All the Lord did was just use his own weapon against him. It took him three days to carry the spoil. Three days. There was so much treasure on the ground. It took him three days to get it. Three days. Their moment of defeat turned into their greatest hour of victory. Their moment of what was going to take them under turned into the greatest opportunity to put them over. Why? Because of faith. Faith. Worship. Faith. They had faith. They worshiped. They had faith. They stood. They had faith. They got up early. They had faith. They dressed for it. They had faith. Where's your faith? Well, I have faith. I have faith. <laughs> James says, demonstrate it. Where's your faith in this hour? Believe God for a promise. Believe him. Believe him. This is going to be your greatest. What do you want? I don't know what I want. Then ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do you want? What do you want to give me in this hour? Where do you want me to do? What is it? What is it? If you don't know, the Holy Spirit knows. He made you. He knows what you want. You don't know what you want, but he does. And he'll tell you something that's, you're like, wow, I didn't think, I didn't even realize I want that, but I do want that. And the Lord will say, believe me for that. Believe me for that. Believe me for an opportunity in this hour that you've, you've been waiting for. Believe me for something. Use this as an hour of faith. Let him give you a promise. And if he gives you a provision, then just receive it. If he gives you a promise, then you need to partner with that promise. If he says, I want you to believe me for a new job. Well, how do I do that? Upgrade your resume. Get ready. I'm going to open a door for you. I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to put you in another position. Believe me for another opportunity. Believe me for something that you... I don't don't know what you want. I know what I want, but I don't know what you want. Well, God's not about... I want what the Lord wants. That's how stupid we are. Three days, they went, which tells me they went back and took everything they could carry and they left no gold. Well, don't you think we should leave a little gold? No, when God... Don't you cry in your harvest. When God gives you everything, take everything the Lord is giving. That's right. 
That's right. When he is giving fullness, don't, when he tells you to beat the arrow, beat the arrow. When he tells you to reap the harvest, reap the harvest. That's not the time to be like, that's the time to say yes. Because God has a purpose for what he's giving you. He had a purpose for what he was giving Israel. He was going to use it to further fortify. He's going to use it to bankrupt their enemies. And he was going to use it to fortify them against the enemy. They, they didn't attack him for a generation. So the Bible says, after this defeat, Israel was not attacked for an entire generation. What would that look like to you? To where you became so expensive, the devil wouldn't mess with you. What would that look like? That God would bring you through such a time of victory that there would not even be an assault on you. You wouldn't even be a thought in his mind for an entire generation. He'd look at you and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think we should do that. I have a lot of opinions on that, which I won't go into. But nonetheless, keys to victory. Present yourself before the Lord with prayer. Present yourself as a son or a daughter. Don't you come as a victim. Don't you come pathetic. You come boldly. Well, I don't know. It's not how you feel. It's how you are. I don't feel bold. Then be bold. I don't feel like a daughter. Then be a daughter. Be what you are not. Call what is not as though it were. Become who you are. Come boldly. Rise up early. Have some expectation. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is, and then he's a what? He's a rewarder. What's that say? Those who come to me must believe me for what I am and who I am, and they must have an expectation that I'm going to answer. Listen to what he says. Call upon your covenantial premises. Lord, you said. Lord, you said. Worship before, during, and after the victory. Reap the victory. I want you all to say this. Don't cry in the harvest. Don't cry in the harvest. Be faithful in the harvest, but don't you cry in the harvest. Give the Lord what is just. Give the Lord what belongs to him, but don't you cry in the harvest. We're going to do a prayer based upon the prayer of uh, Jehoshaphat. So this is a hybrid prayer based upon the prayer of Jehoshaphat. We want to pray it. Remember, they praise the Lord with singing and loud voices. There's power in your words. Some of, you, some of you Christians would see breakthrough if you just began to vocalize the things that are already yours. You just began to say with your mouth the things that God says. Begin to speak back to your circumstances. That's not what's going on. Begin to speak back to you. Just like we did last week with David. Listen, dude, this is what time it is. This is not what's going to happen. This is what you're going to do. Quote Psalm 91 to yourself. Let's pray this out. Just say, oh Lord. You are my God, now and forever. You are absolute in your power. You are the God who has delivered me from sin. You are the God who has delivered me from condemnation. And you have driven out all of my adversaries. And you are driving out all of my accusers. I stand before you now as a rightful son and daughter in my position In your bloodline, the enemies or the circumstances that are before me are too great for me. I do not know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. I expectantly wait and I expectantly listen and I choose to listen and obey no other voice but yours in Jesus name. Amen. You believe that? Amen. Come on. Well, if you're watching and you don't know Jesus, today's your day. You say, man, that's really great. I appreciate the encouraging word. Well, let's go a little further. The Bible says the promises and the bread is for the children. And if you don't know Jesus, the Bible says you're a stranger to his covenants and you're an alien to his promises. But it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. Simple as that. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every Christian has to come to Christ this way. You don't become a Christian because you go to church. You don't become a Christian because you, grandma was a Christian. You become a, every person has to come of their own accord. 
And there are those of you right now, you're watching this, whatever time this is, this is an eternal message that'll be, somebody will watch it five years from now. It's the way the internet works. Maybe you're watching this in 2025. And your heart is beating and you're sweating. Maybe you're watching this with a group of friends or you're in a room, just somebody says, hey, watch this. And you're looking for the door right now. Jesus is talking to you. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death or eternal separation. All of us are born in sin and all of us are born separated. We cannot save ourselves. We are hopeless and helpless without Christ. And if you need that hope this morning and you want that hope and you want that assurance of salvation that if you died today, tonight, tomorrow, that you would go and be with Jesus, then you can have that assurance right now. Say, what do I have to do? Just say this simple prayer with us. The church here is going to pray with you. We're going to pray together. We do it as a family. But you have to pray it. You have to say it with your mouth. Say, I'm embarrassed. Jesus isn't embarrassed of you. He hung on a cross naked. Exposed before the world for you, for the joy that was set before him. What's the joy? You. Those who would come to him were his joy. Those who this price was being paid to bring someone to him. And he said it was worth it. You're worth it. He says you're worth it. The Bible goes a little further. He says, if you confess me before men, this is Jesus, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before my father. So don't deny him. Let's just go for it. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. And let's just pray it together. We're going to pray it together. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Say, that's it. No, that's the start of it. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, you send an email to Elevate Miami Church at gmail there it is elevate miami church at gmail we want to send you something we love you for those of you who are faithful and you're giving i don't know if the link is on the bottom maybe it is maybe it isn't but your gifts and your faithfulness to the lord and your giving at this time is greatly appreciated and much respected and needed and so elevate miami church.com and then you'll know the paypal donate button is on the screen but we love you god loves you let me bless you one more time but wait there's another blessing coming right at you may the lord bless you may the lord keep you May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.